All right, welcome back on the podcast, Bob. Ah, thanks. Uh, for listeners just tuning in, or for those who haven't heard the last few podcasts, this is the final episode of a mini series we've been doing, which focuses on IIoT and the automotive market. Uh, Bob, you and I spoke in the first episode on this series uh, and kicked things off by discussing the technical side of autonomous vehicles. Today, I'd like to sort of bookend the mini series and discuss what's next for the automotive industry and what sort of things people can expect to see from the autonomous vehicle market in the future. Uh, so I think it's appropriate to start off by talking about some of the big market challenges in uh, the autonomous vehicle space as of now. Um, for example, consumer business models and supply chains. Sure. Uh, yeah, those are those are big topics. Um, it's it's really uh, it seems to be anyone's game at this point. Uh, we have uh, companies, ride sharing companies that we've seen that that seem to require autonomous vehicles to be profitable. Um, but I'm not sure that technology, frankly, is developing fast enough uh, for or as fast as everybody expects. Um, so perhaps ride sharing isn't going to be as big as it as we thought it was maybe two or three years ago. Um, we've got mo- people exploring models for things like um, uh, joining a club where you can get any car you want on the weekend as part of that club and, and it'll come pick you up and then you, you drive it out for the weekend to, to other models where, um, uh, you know, what Tesla has, has recently um, suggested where your car, you can share your car out and, and or be part of a, um, a ride sharing program where the car comes and picks you up, but you drive it. So it's not really uh, a level four autonomous vehicle, which is driverless, but it's, you know, just going a few blocks from wherever it's parked to, to pick up a passenger. And, and who knows what's going to, um, to fall out of here. It's, it's the kind of thing where it's really tied to how well the technology works to what business models are really going to execute. And then big unknown is how our consumer is going to behave. So, um, so uh, a lot of, a lot of uncertainty in, in the business models that, that are out there and that are going to work. I think the challenge still is who's going to dominate, what's going to, uh, what's going to be the winning formula, and uh, all of these companies still scrambling to, you know, create IP first of all, because you know they can build value on IP, and that IP certainly extends to how do I build my supply chain for this? How do I get my costs down? How do I? Um, uh, create a user base that, that is going to be committed to, you know, using our cars or using our transportation model. And, and what am I going to charge for that? And, and all of that is still in development, I'd say. Cool. On a side note, last time you had mentioned that, um, some people think it's best to develop the best IP. Can you dive into that just a little bit more? Um, well, there, there's, there's risks and all, um, all parts of this uh, market and, and, you know, getting to market and being successful. And, and what we mostly think of is either selling a car or selling a service and companies that do that. But that's the, uh, the only, only strategy you can take in, in trying to be successful in this market. Another strategy is I'm going to develop some unique IP that no one else has or that we do better than no one else. And I'll either sell that IP or lease that IP out to other, other companies building uh, autonomous vehicles and autonomous systems. And that perhaps has a lot lower risk uh, because you don't have to actually build the market and 
and build a customer base, um, you know, and compete in the, in the very competitive, you know, who's going to drive who, uh, where, uh, market. And, and you're just, you know, focusing on this, focusing very narrowly on this one little, little piece of IP. Um, so for small companies with smart people, that may be a, a better approach because you can focus on the technology and do that really well, as opposed to worrying about the whole, you know, supply chain issues and, 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 uh, sales and marketing issues that, that go along with selling to the, the public. Last time we talked, we said it was tough to say where autonomous vehicles were going to be, um, you know, in the, in the future. What about autonomous vehicles aside? What about the market? What, what can we expect from the autonomous vehicle market in the imminent future? You know, if we were to take a peek just over the hill a few years, uh, what would that view look like? Or what well, do you think it would look like? Um, I think there's, there's two markets that are to me very interesting. Uh, right now. Um, and the first one is actually the, the you know, trucking and maybe might include mining in there, mining and trucking market for autonomous vehicles. And, uh, this is interesting because we're seeing more and more deployments in, in this area. And, uh, the need for autonomous technology is really driven by real use cases and, and real value that can be provided. So, so the, the need in both of these markets is, um, is to increase safety and autonomous vehicle technology can do that. And so I'm not talking necessarily about driverless trucks in this case, but uh, things like lane keeping and lane detection and collision avoidance and, and, uh, and following can, you know, help, you know, if, if drivers are, are not paying attention that it can, you know, it can avoid a collision or uh, can give them more information so they can, you know, better navigate, uh, you know, long trips on the highway or, or urban areas or, or whatever the, the, the scenario is. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's driving this technology, but perhaps pushing it even further is a uh, labor shortage in both of these markets. It's tough to hire drivers um, for, uh, for trucking and for, for mining. And, um, in, in the case of mining, these, this equipment is, you know, costs millions and millions of dollars and the operating costs are, uh, very high as well. So if you don't have a driver, you have equipment that's not being used and you're using it, losing a ton of revenue and, um, and you have capital that's not being, uh, properly utilized. So spending a few million dollars to get, technology installed and tested and and running and you know really like tens of millions or hundreds of millions is actually probably a good return on your investment because you can do more with that equipment and you don't have to rely on a driver sitting in the cab all the time um this also applies to trucking where a driver can maybe uh drive longer or or do more um uh with you know with with more resources you know if you if you think about trucks following each other in a, in a caravan if one driver can drive the front truck and you have two trucks behind him, you can now ship three times as much, um, two, sorry, two trucks behind him that are uh, driving autonomously, just following him. You now can do three times as much volume with the same labor. Um, and this can, this can help solve some of the labor shortages. So that's a, that's a very interesting market that, uh, frankly may get to maturity faster than, than the more exciting and sexier autonomous vehicle market for ride sharing and, and passenger cars. Um, so that's one, one to look at. The other one that is still really, really interesting because there's so many billions of dollars being invested is what's going to happen in autonomous vehicles. And, and right now that I think the focus is let's get to level three autonomy or let's get as close as we can to level three autonomy, um, and see how that works. And so if, if, if you recall level three, 
is when you can not pay attention until the car tells you that it's time to pay attention. Whereas level two is you need to keep your eyes on the road all the time. So if we get really close to level three and then we eventually achieve level three, then we have um, you know, a case for more value in that car and that you can take longer trips. And, and if you're fatigued, it's, it's not going to impact your driving ability. Perhaps you can take a break from focusing on the road and, and, and perhaps that's going to make uh, the roads generally, generally safer. Um, and so that's where I think the focus is right now, imminently level four and level five, where you're completely disengaged from driving, um, seem to be still a, a long way away from mass market adoption, um, okay. much longer than, than we thought. I've seen predictions that say in, in 10 years, we're either going to have 10% penetration or 90% penetration, which is, <laughs> is basically a way of saying we have no idea. Right. It's pretty huge. Yeah. Um, I actually read somewhere that some people are talking about skipping level three and going straight to level four. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, it seems like you'd want to take it one step at a time, but with emerging technology that's coming around, I think some people want to go straight to the level four. Like you said, it is a race. Yeah. So there, so that's interesting because level, if, if we just look in detail on what the, the, the description is. So level three, um, the car, uh, should be able to transition, uh, to a driver with a comfortable notification or comfortable transition time. Um, so you have to be available. You still have to be there. You can't really fall asleep. At the wheel, for example, um, but you maybe don't have to be concentrating at all times. Um, when we talk about level four, then the car needs to drive on its own without human intervention under certain conditions. And so that's the critical piece. It may be actually easier to say this car is level four within this geographic area or on this particular route than it is to do a level three car for a general purpose use. And there's an immense amount of value in doing that because that's now your ride sharing use case where, you know, the car only operates within, you know, we're in sunny, within Sunnyvale or within the Bay area. And it knows that area really well. And we've covered lots of use cases. So that's a level four car that can operate autonomously within that area. And that's what we're seeing a lot of testing for today. That might be an easier problem to solve than I'm going to sell you a car where you have level three capability, but you, I have no idea where you're going to go. Right. So um, free range to go anywhere. That's yeah. going to take a lot of time to. Right. To, you know. So there's inherently a lot of complexity and risks in level three with with not a huge benefit compared to say a very advanced level two system, like a two plus system, which all has all the safety capabilities and is going to keep you safe, but you still need to pay attention. Right. So in a controlled environment, you can eliminate, you know, ironing out all the details of, uh, of pretty much driving wherever you want, right. coming across any obstacle that the world gives you. Right. And, and things like left turn. So within a city, all the red lights and the left turn, lights operate the same way and people tend to behave in a consistent way generally like there's a, a culture of how you drive and if you go from Sunnyvale say to Boston well all of the learning that you had in Sunnyvale is not necessarily going to work in Boston because people drive differently and the lights look different and the way you navigate a left turn could be different um, so there's just there's there's a huge amount of um, local behavior that has to be built into into these autonomous systems. And so if you can restrict that, and if you think about the highway driving use case, if you're you know, talking about trucking, for example, you could achieve level four where you're going to go from this exit to that exit and the driver doesn't have to pay attention at all. Um, that That's a much simpler use case. Uh, so with all this being said, I can only imagine if I was working for a company and 
an executive at that, what would keep me up at night? So what I want to ask is, what do you think keeps autonomous vehicle company executives up at night? Is it all this um, plus more? Well, it's when am I going to see return on these billions <laughs> right. of dollars that I've invested? There was, there was some, um, you know, they're invested, the car company is investing a ton of money, not only in autonomous vehicles, but also in connected cars. And they're investing way more money for a longer period of time than they ever have before. So this is a huge gamble that these billions will eventually pay off. And it's not a two-year return or a three-year return. We're talking like a seems like a decade return on these investments. If in any normal market, if you were a public company, um, that just would not fly. Right. <laughs> that's just not that's not the way you typically behave. Is uh, speculate on new technology that costs many many billions and is going to have a very long time to to return. Um, so so I'm sure that's what keeps most executives up at night. Um, are we going to win or are we going to lose this gamble? So, um, and, and it's really all about the market dynamics and, and competition and, and how fast can we get to a point where we are actually seeing value and making some money on, on, right. on the investment. That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> okay. Um, well, much like you've discussed, we're currently working. It's a, it's a pivotal moment in the success of the market. Um, how, where does RTI come in at this point of autonomous vehicle market adoption? Uh, so we were start working with our customers uh, and and we're selling to companies that are developing the technology and and integrating the technology into systems um, and we come generally at two phases but fairly early on in the process uh, one when they're doing you know the very first steps at developing an architecture a proof of concept for how the vehicle um, will be built and and that's usually starts with a couple years of research and proof of concept validation and testing and and then you know the, an architecture decision is made and and it is to adopt uh, connects DDS and then um, and then you've got many years of development before you get to market uh, the other point that we come in is uh, where companies have perhaps started building their architecture, building focused on their IP, and they have a bunch of IP, they're built on their own in-house architecture or more likely built on something like Ross. And then they've decided, okay, we've proven out the technology. Now we're going to start development for a production system. And they will transition from a platform that was perhaps only suitable for research to uh, to connect DDS um, because now they get this, you know, the safety certification options and and uh, higher performance and more reliability, and they can build in robustness and reliability into their architectures as well. And, and so that will be the next inflection point. And there's still a many years before we get to uh, actual production deployments, but um, but it, it comes you know much later in in the company's development cycle. Okay, Th this is a good segue to talk about. Um some projects that RTI is actually involved in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I can talk to them about them in general. Um, this market is very uh, secretive. Uh, many of our customers feel working with us is a competitive advantage. Um, so they don't want to talk about their architectures. They don't want to talk about their use of, of Connects DDS um, before they, they go public and, and, you know, they're nearly ready to launch their, their product. But we're in about 40 different autonomous vehicle more than 40 now autonomous vehicle programs that are on a production track. Um, more than half of them, around 25 or so, are um, 
you know, things like passenger cars and, and, and trucking and, and things that you'll, you know, see on the road. Um, and they range from ride sharing to electric vehicle startups to traditional OEMs that are building, you know, the next generation of their, their in-car architecture. And, and we're in the very early stages with some and at others, they're getting ready to launch, um, their product within the next year or two. So, uh, so what we almost always are working with our customers on are the really hard sensor fusion path planning architectures within the car. So these are running on high powered processors and they're taking in a lot of data and things like our quality of service parameters and the ability to build in robustness and the ability to handle different types of data with the same framework and the same APIs is really why they're using us for that um, that use case. And I like to call sensor fusion sort of the pointy end of the stick. And that's, that's where we usually enter into a, into a customer. But then we also have projects doing teleoperations. Um, there's a lot of, uh, cool capabilities that we offer in, in our product to, to help with, you know, connecting real time over unreliable networks. Um, and then, uh, more recently we're being built into the, you know, the lower level safety domain of, um, the autonomous vehicles that's doing, you know, the part of the car that's doing things like actuation and steering and, and, you know, some of the data that's critical to actually make the car move and function. And so, so there's a, there's a, there's a wide gamut of, of what we're doing, but usually it's, it's centered around, you know, I've got a lot of data. I need to move it quickly. I need to move it reliably and I need to be very flexible in how I build and deploy my system because, you know, IP is evolving, platforms evolving and our use cases are evolving. Uh, do we see customers who start off by using Connect for one thing, say it's for sensor fusion or for the safety aspect of it, and end up using more features than they thought they would over time? Uh, yeah, certainly, and that's that's typical. Um, so that's why that's why sensor fusion is that pointy end. Is that's the problem that they're trying to solve. That's the hard problem they it's say the they the need door. to they need to solve that first. And so we're the ones that are best able to to solve that problem for them. And then once they've made that decision, then now it doesn't make any sense to bring in other protocols and other technologies when you've already got one that can handle you know just about all of your use cases. So so it goes from there to say, okay, we can use it for teleoperations. We can use it for some of the the control sometimes we say okay well we even use it for for providing data to the infotainment system because we can rely on you know dds security mechanisms to isolate those systems so so there's then evolves from there um i would say no two customers in the same in what else they use us for but 90 percent of this, them use us for the the sensor fusion and, and really hard um autonomous functionality. Well, finally, I know that RTI will be at CES for the first time this coming January. Can you tell our listeners what they should expect to see from RTI there? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. We're going to be at CES for the first time with a booth. Um, what's probably more exciting uh, than the booth is as is, is, uh, wonderful as that is, we'll have a few customers uh, announcing their use of DDS, some of them that could be going to market within within a year or two, um, others that may be a little early on in the process, but they'll be the first end-use customers using DDS out of the, all the ones that we're using that are ready to announce publicly um, details about their architecture and why they're using DDS. So that's, that's really exciting for us. Uh, we're also going to showcase... Uh, all the different integrations and platforms that we we support. So when you choose Connects, uh, you're really choosing a platform that will run from the ECU to the cloud, support of multiple different hardware systems, and can integrate with things like ROS and Autosar and and uh, MATLAB and Simulink and and other 
other platforms as well. So we'll be showcasing how, you know, connects can be that, that backbone you can rely on to, to really support your entire trier infrastructure needs. So, uh, so that's the first time we'll be telling that complete story as well. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And then we expect to have things like panels in our booth and, and a few other announcements with the partners and customers. So should be a lot going on. Very cool. Uh, and if you'd like to find out more, you can always visit our website on the events page. Um, you can find out more about CES and RTI's presence there. Um, well, Bob, thanks again for joining us. It's always great having you on, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you back on soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.